back to Nehemiah chapter 4, starting with verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, them being the enemy, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. You ever had your strength failing? Yeah, we've been there. Maybe you're there this morning. And there is much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. You ever had a lot of rubbish in your life? Don't know where to start? Kind of discombobulated? And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them, cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and told us ten times that whenever you turn, or whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. That's some serious stuff there, isn't it? You think going to your job's tough. And I looked and arose and said to the, peop- the nobles, the leaders, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened. And it happened. And it happened. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God brought their plot to nothing. <laughs> All of us return to the wall, everyone to his work. Is that not an awesome verse, verse 15? And it happened. God brought all of their stuff to nothing. Maybe there's something coming against you that God wants to bring to nothing. You think it's going to swallow you alive, but God wants to bring it to nothing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We, as verse 9 tells us, we make our prayer to our God. Lord, we ask that you, by your spirit, would set a watch against the enemy. Just circle this place with your angels and your spirit to fill us with the word of God. Strengthen us where where our strength might be failing. Lord, remove the rubble in our lives that we might rebuild and be rebuilt by your grace. Give to each person what they need here this morning, as only you know. Use me in whatever way you wish for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you see my slide up here. The one and only time I ever went whitewater rafting was in Utah about 17 years ago. It was a team-building exercise. You ever heard of these? (laughs) It was an excursion after a couple days of meetings. And we had various levels of skill and experience and strength and confidence. My skill level was zero when it came to rafting anyway as was most of the group. Most of us have never been. I was tired. I was fighting Utah allergies that I hadn't experienced. And although I wanted some sleep, I also wanted to head down the river. I kind of wanted to do it. It's pretty cool. I wanted to check check this out. Many in the group were tired from flights. Some people had flown from the East Coast, some from the West Coast, some from the South, North. Time changes. Don't you love time changes? And, you know, you have jet lag and all that stuff. Altitude, it's it's much higher altitude there. You're up at 7,000 feet or so. Long, long-winded meetings. You ever been in those that wear you out anyway? But the outing wasn't optional because money had been paid for this, right? And anytime money's paid for something, they expect you to do it, do it, you know. So everyone had to suit up and get ready. Whatever doubts you had about how it was going to go, the guide assured everybody that he had led many teams through the rapids with no failures to date, right? So far, so good. Everybody was literally in the boat together, right? We had instructions that I've long forgotten. One I remember is that I was supposed to stay in the raft at all times, (laughs) right? Stay in the raft. As we would make it through one obstacle... You'd high-five everybody. Hey, we did it, we did it. You made through that one. Another more challenging one would come. And you'd have to listen carefully to the instructions of the guide. Somehow, our coordination in one section, we ended up getting wedged between some rocks and a current. And we weren't going anywhere. Water and rocks are both unforgiving, aren't they? Rocks, you know, rock, they don't move. 
Water, it keeps coming. Certain conditions in life are relentless, aren't they? But remember that stay in the raft part? Stay in the raft at all times. That was one of the instructions. <laughs> but it turns out that most times you stay in the raft, but not all the time. Me and another guy were given precise instructions by our raft leader to get out into the water, hold on, this is a rope thing around it, hold on tight, and push off the rock while the rest of the team was supposed to paddle really hard in unison in one direction. And then we were supposed to climb back in as it's moving. <laughs> and we got a vest on and stuff too. But the water, which comes from the snow-capped mountains there, was freezing. I was now wide awake. No sleep issues at that point. Adrenaline pumping. We had a few scrapes on our knees and stuff, but other than that, we made it back in the raft. And there were a few constants I can look back at and observe. One, the rocks and the rapids, they're always there. They're always there. And they're always a legitimate hazard. They're always a real hazard. I mean, you hit your head on a rock, you come out full speed, you're not, you're not, that's not a good thing for you, right? Two, we had a guide that had seen all the possible setbacks before. It's what, what me and the other dude getting out, that wasn't new. This, this had happened in other you know, teams in the past. He had seen other setbacks, including the one where we failed as a team and get in the right section, we ended up in the wrong spot. Three, another constant is the whole team had to be listening to the same instructions and working together. Would you agree with that? Everyone had to be on the same. Everyone had to paddle. Everyone had to be following instructions. Um, whether we were on course or stuck, we still had to be listening because even if you're stuck, it's even more that everyone's listening, right? It's easy to kind of, everything's going smoothly. Frankly, it might be nice if the Christian life were a whitewater rafting trip, right? Because I've done both, and the rafting trip is a lot easier than the Christian life. You could wish that, hey, I wish it was just one long rafting trip. No, that would be, has its challenges, but it's not the same as spiritual warfare. Those types of adventures are challenging, but they're actually carefully designed to look really daunting. Did you know that that's why team building exercises are chosen? They're, they're designed to look like you're probably not going to make it, but you actually are. Like this is going to be, no one's ever pulled this off, and then you find out everyone's pulled it off, right? <laughs> what it is, it's more than anything, it's our unfamiliarity with something. That's what it is. It's things we're unfamiliar with look more daunting to us because we're unfamiliar with them. Life and the Christian life is often unfamiliar to, to us, unfamiliar territory. It's harder than a whitewater rafting course. The opposition isn't water and rocks. It starts with ourselves. It's our own flesh is our first opposition. It's our own flesh. But then we have an enemy that hates Christ in us. Hates Christ in us. Nehemiah and the people, they had an adversary that stood between them and completing the course that God had placed them on. The danger was real. I mean, they had real armies coming closer and closer and closer. The circumstance, they, they, didn't, they didn't pick up swords and spears for no reason. I mean, it would be, this would be like you packing, you know, the old Wild West, right, on both sides. Gun holsters, because you don't know when a gunfight's going to break out, right? This is real danger. The opposition was real. The circumstances were all new. It was uncharted waters for everyone. No one had ever rebuilt city walls in this fashion. Like, just sons, daughters, families. This was all new. And oh, by the way, make sure that you're armed for it. Even Nehemiah, the man God had handpicked and sent, he had never charted this course before. He wasn't even a river rafting guide that could say, hey, I've already done this. They couldn't even get that from him. Hey, how many times have you done this? Uh, none. Never done it before. Like God had said to Joshua, and I love this passage, I remind myself, God said to Joshua, you've never been this way before. You've never gone this way before. But Nehemiah, he really wasn't their guide. 
That's kind of good news, isn't it? Because he's just a man like them. Nehemiah wasn't their guide. He wasn't their source of success. Their guide, their assurance of completion, if they listened, if they obeyed, if they kept moving forward, was God, not Nehemiah. In fact, God was more than an excellent guide. Don't you think God's more than an excellent guide? A pretty good guide? No, he actually controls, unlike a guide on a, on a river, God controls the rivers. He's not just guiding the river. He controls the rocks. He made them. He can make sure we stay on course. And for the people in Nehemiah 4, not only that, he has full control of the enemies as well. Remember the demons had to listen to anything Jesus said. Anything that Jesus said. But they had to stay with God. They had to stay on mission. They had to stay with one another. And so it's true for us. You see, God cares about each of us individually. But as the body of Christ, we're all in the same boat together. Did you know that? And here's the thing. God loves family victories, team victories. He's not looking for individual wins. He's looking for us to come through these things together. If you're taking notes this morning, abounding together, abounding together in adversity. Yes, there's adversity in our life. In this room, if I had each person stand up, if we went all through the room, start telling me some of the adversity in your life. You'd hear things that is unique to only a couple of people, maybe even one person, but you'd also hear a lot of common things. You'd find out, wow, I thought I was the only one in the room going through that type of adversity. And then you find, wow, a lot of people have those same rocks, same rapids, same areas where they're stuck and not getting out, right? And God wants to get some of the rest of it to jump out of the boat and push off a little bit to help out. But it's the Holy Spirit that will give that direction. It's the Lord that will give that guidance. And so we want to take a look at what Nehemiah and the people were going through this morning. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want to take a look at is what I've titled Real Issues. They have some real issues here. They're trying to rebuild. Verse 9, nevertheless, we made a prayer to our God because of them we set a watch day and night. But in verse 10, then Judah said the strength of the laborers is failing. They had just prayed a really good prayer, and not, not long after they prayed, they feel weak. You ever prayed really good, been in a great prayer meeting, and an hour later you feel wiped again? You're not alone. You're not the first person to feel that. They felt that way. You ever said these prayers in your life? You've come through a tough and tiring time. And maybe you can even see, like back in verse 9, that God had given them wisdom to set a watch day and night. God gave Nehemiah exactly what to do. You ever done exactly what God asked you to do? You got wisdom that you needed, had to better address certain obstacles between you and the path God's place. You did all that, and then you find your strength is failing again. Nehemiah in verse 9, by the way, back in verse 9, when he says, nevertheless, we made our prayer to God because, we, because of them we set a watch, Nehemiah does not seem surprised by the opposition, does he? He doesn't seem surprised that there is opposition. We shouldn't either, should we? We shouldn't be surprised that there's opposition. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised that even when we make some progress, there's sometimes a setbacks. You ever setbacks after progress? And then we have to pray again and step forward again. But the waves of when we thought this or that would finally end can sometimes start taking a toll on us. I thought this would be over by now. You ever thought that? I thought I'd be done with this by now. It can start to take a toll. This job is hard. The sun is beating down. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The enemy is real. The attacks are very possible. I mean, they can see the strength of what they're going up against. Our own flesh. I talked about our weaknesses. Uh, you know, God doesn't look at our strengths because we don't bring anything to the table, but we have a lot of weaknesses. Our flesh, um, it isn't easy to overcome, is it? Our flesh is our own enemy. 
But then there really is a spiritual enemy outside of us. There really is a world that Jesus was, when he went in the wilderness, he had to battle Satan 40 days and 40 nights. There is a real enemy. There really is a demonic force that wants to destroy the work of God in your life. And so we have a real enemy. And the enemy is relentless against the work of God and relentless of what God is doing in us. That is a fact. It's not just in Nehemiah. This is still happening in the year 2018. This is what's happening in verses 10 through 12. The people had sought God. They did a good thing. They felt like the pressure was closing in and they sought God. They settled in again. Remember, they had a mind to work, verse 6, back, back a couple of weeks ago, in verse 6, and they joined, they built up the wall to half the height. They settled in, made real progress. You ever settled in and made some progress? After spinning your wheels, they say, wow, this is really cool. I, I've seen myself growing. I'm making progress. I'm now in the Word. I've even led someone to Christ. Kids are doing well, and all of a sudden, the enemy comes back. And the enemy circles back, doesn't he? Comes back. I see you're flying high now. Let's try this again. How about another shot at your shins, right? Soccer came back to me right then, but, uh, <laughs> years ago. Where are those shin guards you kids playing soccer? Look back at verse 10, though. And Judah said, the strength of laborers is failing. There is much rubbish. We're not able to rebuild the wall. Strength is failing, and a lot of rubbish. And again, this is after they have sought the Lord and have made progress. You might have sought the Lord, you made progress, and then you still say, but why am I weak again? Why is my strength failing again? Why do I see so much rubbish? At the same time, our strength is failing and de decreasing. See, we can feel that in our, our spirit. We have an overwhelming thing, number of things to work through sometimes. You ever have a list that just seems endless to work through? And I think it's worse in the days and age we live in. And the enemy will attack with greater and greater threats. He'll also increase the intensity of attacks, especially if he knows you're determined to do the work of the Lord. If he knows you're determined, he can see, he can see who really wants to follow Jesus, who's really taken up their cross and following him. So the attacks will come. If you're taking notes... When we're tired, spiritually, mentally, physically, we're that much more susceptible to Satan's schemes and attacks. Doesn't mean we're doomed if we're tired. We're not ignorant of his devices. But as much as depends on us, we do need to make room for rest. One of the reasons uh, six days shall a man work, the seventh day rest, if you really don't take a day and give it to God and say, Lord, we're just going to come to church, worship, rest, not fit in eight million more things to do. Your spirit won't find rest. It's even for Christians. You've got to find time for rest. You've got to turn the TV off and go to bed. You need rest. You've got to turn the things off and sometimes just be still and know that God is God. You don't need more information sometimes. Most times we don't need more information. We do need transformation. But most of the information we get, hey, I got another fact from Pinterest. Hey, I got another fact from uh, Instagram. Hey, I got another fact from Facebook. I, I can't handle any more facts. How about you? Amen. Unless they're coming from God. Amen. We need them from the Lord. It's true, fatigue makes cowards of us all. But what Satan really wants to fatigue is your spirit. I mean, physical fatigue is real. And many times we're the cause of it, our own flesh. We just haven't been obedient to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm going to turn these things off, these distractions, and find time to rest. Open the Word of God. You'll never, the Word of God will never sap your strength. It will only give you strength. You'll never say, wow, that was a wasted half hour in the Word. You'll say that about many other things, though. Many other things. You'll never say that about the Word of God. It'll actually give you time back. Strange as it may sound, the more time you spend with God, the more time he'll give us back. It's counterintuitive. But notice that we not only experience how we're feeling, but we speak to ourselves. Verse 10, he's, uh, it's one of the, uh, then Judah said, the strength of the labors is failing. Talking to himself, talking to them. 
We can go from feeling strong and able to discouraged in no time, rather quickly. And we voice it to ourselves and we voice it to other people, don't we? Today we voice it in social media and all these other things. We voice it in so many ways, but we speak words of doubt and defeat. And when we do that, we're defeating ourselves. Rather than speaking the truths of God, we speak these words of doubt and defeat. And often, habitually and subconsciously, we find ourselves, if you if, just start catching yourself speaking in a way that is not how God has asked us to think. We start saying things like, I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. Figures. You ever hear that one? From yourself. I'm not talking about from other people. From yourself. Figures. I have the worst luck. I have the worst luck. I am. If it can go wrong, it'll go wrong. I should have never even started this. Complaining, worrying, anxiety, fear, frustration. Those things don't calm you. They only stir it up more. They only validate. The enemy says, you're right. Keep saying that. Keep saying that. Keep thinking that way. The Bible says whatever things are true and lovely and a good report, think on those things. If God be for us, who can be against us? How about us saying that a lot to ourselves? The enemy is relentless and seizing on our doubts and seizing on self-defeat. The enemy confirms and multiplies the certainty of failure. Look at verse 11. Our adversaries said, now, remember, verse 10, they're speaking to themselves. Verse 10, our strength is failing. We've got so much on the to-do list, we don't even know where to start. The enemy jumps in in verse 11. Our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come in their midst and kill them. Not frustrate them, not intimidate them, kill them. Has anyone threatened to kill you this week? I have not had that this week. Thank you, Lord. I have not had anyone threaten to kill me this week. They had, literally, death threats now. They're dealing with death threats. The enemy, enemy will seize and confirm, hey, not only are you right that you're going to be defeated, but the enemy's mantra is you're in a no-win situation. That's what the enemy wants you to think. You're in a no-win situation. God's like, says, no, no, if you belong to me, you're in a no-lose situation if you belong to me. And he doesn't stop there, but the pressure comes in ways as he speaks through others, adding destructive fuel to the fire of any spark, of any doubt, of any wavering. The enemy wants to fan that flame, say, I want you to doubt even more and more and more. Jesus said, don't be doubting. That's why we have We Believe back there. We want to be people that are believers. We're not called the doubters. God built his church on believers, not doubters. We have doubts, but we die to doubt and we live to belief. Does that make sense? That's what they had to do here. Because all the evidence around them, surrounding them, was we're going down. We're not going to make it, just like the Red Sea or other situations in the Bible. But the enemy adds layers of doubt to overwhelm our minds and overwhelm our faith in God so we can't think about God. He doesn't want you thinking about God. He wants you thinking about yourself and how you can fix it. Many were convinced that failure was inevitable, and the safe thing to do was just to stop, just to stop and give up. Many a well-meaning Christian would have told Moses, hey, uh, Moses, by the way, Going to speak to Pharaoh is not a good idea. You could die. That's a really bad idea. You go speak to Pharaoh, you know that head you have? It's neither safe nor wise, Moses, to go speak to Pharaoh. Moses might have very well agreed, except for one important point. God told him to go. What do you do with that? All the evidence says don't go, but Moses said, but... Uh, I got one issue with your great advice. God told me I have to go. The facts of God's sovereignty are so often distorted by our fear and lack of faith. Let me say that again. The facts of God's sovereignty are very much often distorted by our fear and lack of faith or the fear and lack of faith of other people. 
not just ourselves, but other people rallying to our defense saying, you're right, you shouldn't do it. Remember the 10 spies? 10 said, no way, no. Two said, yes, we can do it. Two were listening to God. Ten were listening to each other and themselves. Now look at this ten. Here's a ten times as well. Look at verse uh, 12. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them, uh, Jews that were in the area, not necessarily involved in the building, but they were the brothers and sisters, if you will, the Jews that lived in the area, came to them ten times and said, from whatever place you turn, they'll be upon us. These are the encouragers you want in your life right here. They don't only tell you once you're going to fail. They don't tell you twice you're going to fail. They don't tell you three times. They tell you ten times you're going down. Wow. Talk about a wet blanket of a group, right? This is, this is them. Ten times the already tired, wobbling, and weakening workers are told that they're going to be attacked from every direction. The enemy sent voices to confirm their own doubts. Understand that it's not the reality of the circumstances of what we're feeling or going through, but it's the reality of God and how he responds to his voice. Whose voice are you hearing? The ten times they said, you're failing, you're failing, you'll fall, you'll fall, you'll die, you'll die. Or are you feeling the Lord's, are you hearing the Lord's voice saying, I got you. Move forward. Moses, don't worry about what they said. Don't worry about what Pharaoh's going to do. Go forward anyway. Whatever God's allowing us to experience or endure is for his work in our life. Do you believe that? I know it's not easy to believe it. Just hang on to a thread of belief. Say, Lord, I believe it. A.W. <coughs> Tozer said, problems patiently endured will work for our spiritual perfecting. Patiently endured. Lord, I hear all these voices, but I'm going to patiently endure and watch what you do. So we have these real issues. How are they going to respond if you're taking notes? Resolved response. 10, 11, 12, their own voices, their own fears, their own doubts, the people 10 times telling them you're not going to make it. How will they respond? How will Nehemiah respond? How will the people respond? Well, Nehemiah senses that little cracks of doubt can be widened if they're not addressed. You know that's true in your own life? Little cracks of doubt, if they're not addressed, can be widened. Brothers and sisters, we need to keep patching the cracks of doubt and distraction in our life with the help of God. This never ends. As long as you're alive, you're going to keep patching things. I don't mean that you personally, but God will direct you to say, all right, that right there, you need to cut it out. That right there, you need to read my word. You need to meditate on this scripture. It's going to be your deliverancer. Uh, that's going to be what's going to remind you of the peace that you need. Run to God. Run to the word of God in prayer. God's the one who encourages our life. Look what Nehemiah says in verse 12. Therefore I position men, I'm verse 13, sorry, uh, verse 13, therefore I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. So Nehemiah says, look, I know what you're hearing. I hear it too. He didn't live in some kind of fantasy land. He heard the same thing. He had the same fears to deal with. He said, I, I get all that. Let's get repositioned. I want to show you real quick, again, because I know you love this map. And you haven't seen it in a while, so I had to bring it back out. But um, if you look here, why I want to look at this for just a second is when Nehemiah calls the people back together, one of the ways, again, it's just by way of review, one of the ways that God deals with the things we're coming in is he always gives us something to do. I'm not talking about busy work. I'm talking about kingdom work. Busy work is surfing your phone. Kingdom work is putting it down and praying. Right? He gives us something to do, people to invest in, lives to touch. And Nehemiah says, here's the deal. I know we've got all this going on, but I know for certain God told us to do this, so here's what we need to do. We need to double down on the work 
that God's given us. Get back to your places. And notice that he finds, he says, the, the, the openings, the gates, he says where there was uh, lower parts of the wall, where the walls weren't as high, everyone had to be stationed. Now in, this, in this church, the next several weeks, I, you know, we'll be a few weeks, um, we'll be passing out cards to, you know, if you, if you haven't found a place to serve and to minister in this church. God wants you to find that place. Just like he wants you to be baptized if you've never been baptized, he also wants you to serve him and serve other people. The, the kingdom of God will never be done by, all right, God's found 10 pastors in the world. They needed, uh, no, no, it's the whole body of Christ. And uh, by the way, I'm incredibly thankful for every little bit of service that everyone here does because we could not survive without every little, everyone's help that's currently already doing what they're doing. And yet, there's still parts of the wall that need to be built up. Would you agree with that? Yeah. There's still people that are not being touched. There's still people that are not being ministered to. There's still ministries that really could use a helping hand. And Nehemiah says, one of the ways that you will not be defeated is to go and do what God's called you to do. Get something in your hand spiritually. These weapons are spiritual weapons, but you guys, get something in your hand. Some people, spiritually speaking, are way too idle. And they wonder why their minds are all over the map. Because they haven't focused on the will and the work of God. That says, I've given you something to do. Even Adam and Eve, before sin, they had to tend the garden. Did you know that? Before sin, they had to tend the garden. God wants to give all of us something to focus on. Say, I've given you a mission. Jesus gave the church. Go into all the world and re reach the whole world with the gospel. Teaching them. That takes effort. takes some sort of um, you know, work on our part. But it's not just individual. As you see on the map here and in the text, it's everyone's involved. Not everyone can do the same amount. Not everyone's called to do the same exact amount. Not, God won't even reward the work with the same amount of fruit for every, you know, some will see a hundredfold, some fortyfold. That, that's all up to the Lord, but everyone's part. Nehemiah says, get back out to the wall and find the most vulnerable places. But first for us, we can't do the work of God until we're listening to the voice of God. We have to be sitting under his lordship in our life. And by the way, even leaders need spiritual encouragement and spiritual leaders in their life. Nehemiah says, then I positioned them, and it says in, in verse 14, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Nehemiah was speaking to the leaders. Even leaders need spiritual encouragement. I have people in my life that I desperately need that encourage me as a pastor, as a Christian, as a father, as a husband. Uh, those of you, if you're a lone ranger and you say, I don't have any, any men or women in my life that really speak into my life, that is not God's plan. You are living outside the plan of God. If you don't have people that are personally investing in you, then you're not in the type of fellowship and discipleship that God's called every Christian to. These people are not working all over the map here. They're working close confines together because we need to lock arms in the body of Christ. And remember this, even though there's a whole group of people around and tell them they're going to fail, they're going to be killed, they're told 10 times, even more than that with their own minds, majority opinion, even an overwhelming majority, is never the basis of how we respond and make decisions. Amen? Majority opinion is irrelevant our response and decision criteria is based on what God has already said and the instructions he's already given. What if all of America decides that something the Bible says is wrong is A-OK? -okay? It doesn't matter what the world says, what God says. Our response, you know, so if the whole world says, you know, that you shouldn't take these kind of risks, you shouldn't serve Jesus, you're going to fall, you're going to fail, it's not going to work. Nehemiah says, no, 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 no. Let's all get back and doing what God, 
Let God take care of the results. Amen? Our call is just to build, Nehemiah. Get up on the wall and start doing the things that God has asked us to do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Our own understanding is never helpful. (laughs) Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. He said, don't lean to your own understanding. Now, he should have taken his own advice later in life, right? Because it really wasn't his advice. Where did Solomon get that verse? God. Later on, Solomon leaned to his own understanding. Big mistake. The whole nation would suffer for it. David, for a while, leaned to his own understanding. But trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, which is never helpful. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. The path to this wall being rebuilt will happen if they don't lean to their own understanding, if they don't lean to everyone else's understanding. So Nehemiah said, look, I... I don't know about the rest of y'all. I'm crystal clear. We're supposed to keep building. You tired? You feel like stopping? You got a lot on your plate? Nehemiah says, ignore all that and get back to doing what God's called us to do and do it together. The Lord gives Nehemiah some next step instructions. And it's fitted perfectly for this brief stoppage. They do have a brief stoppage of work. But then it continues the progress in the next phase of this project. In your life, and whatever you're going through, and maybe it's a family situation, maybe it's a work situation. I was praying with a brother this week, you know, telling me about his work situation and, and something that, you know, is complex. And, hey, pray for me. How do I deal with this at work? But whatever it is, God knows the wisdom you need. He knows the actions that need to be taken. He knows where and how you're to spend your resources, which are not even yours. They're God's anyway. And how to spend the time he's given. How to spend the talents and abilities he's given. And the treasure, which again, none of these things belong to us. They were bought with a price. But for his glory and for what? Our growth. God's not looking to grow. God's not looking to say, man, if you would help me out, I could really grow. No, he's doing it for our growth. But what we need, and sometimes a stoppage is not such a bad thing. And there's a stop here. All of a sudden, the work comes to a brief stop. But notice the priorities that Nehemiah is led to address. The lower parts, the lower parts of the wall, the openings. Are we aware of the vulnerable areas in ourself? The lower walls, the openings. Are we aware of the vulnerable areas in our families? Are we aware of the vulnerable areas in this church? Are we looking out for those with the greatest needs? See the coordinated use of the family. Many families, uh, you know, it's not just a family. It's many families make up the family of God. Many families make up this church family. It's, it's called the body of Christ, right? Because each finger, each thumb, well, we only have two of those. But anyway, each part of the body all is coordinated for one single work. And notice there's a simultaneous work in these individual families, but also a simultaneous work in more of a one collective family. Yes, individual families are working. Each of you have to study your own Bible, your own prayer time, but together, God stitches it all together. When we're all following that, then when we're coming together, we have something to give one another. If you're studying the Word, and I'm studying the Word, if you're talking to God, I'm talking to God, then when we need to hear from the Lord, you're having something for me and vice versa. Each part strengthens the other. But in the church family, there's something that the two entities, hear this out. In the church family, there's two entities. You have families, but you also have the church family, right? The church family is more of a corporate singular thing with a bunch of different parts. But then families, you have your own family. You'll have your own family time tonight or something like that. You have your own family vibe, if you will. You have your own family way of doing things. You have your own family culture, but then you're part of a larger church culture. But did you know that both are to influence the other? Let me explain what that means. Both are to influence the other. The church always needs to be more and more like a family, more love, more fellowship, I'm talking about the church as a corporate body, more love, more fellowship, more laughter, more accepting people for how God's made them, more of being yourself without airs. Do you know at your house, you stop trying to act like you're something you're not? 
You're not ashamed to walk around in socks that are half fallen off and stuff like that. You're not ashamed to actually be a little goofy at your own house, which no one has ever seen you act that way, right? I'm not saying you should do everything but the same, but I'm saying that <laughs> inside your home, you don't put on all the airs that you do outside, that we do. We naturally put off the, uh, this is my outside persona. So the church needs less of an outside persona and more of a family living room is what I'm saying. Conversely, families need to be more like the church, more proactive in teaching the Word of God in the home, more focused on actually discipling in the home, more focused on prayer, more focused on serving. The church needs to be more like a family, and the family needs to be more like the church. The two are always to influence the other, and that's what God brought Nehemiah to help happen, that both would influence the other. Lastly, God isn't just calling builders, which we're certainly called to be. Notice the spears, the swords, and the bows. We're called to be soldiers of the Lord, aren't we? Not just builders. We're certainly called to build. But we're told to put on the whole armor of God, to fight the good fight, spiritual warfare. This is the transformation God wants to do in us, moving us from knee-jerk reactions of doubt and circumstance to resolve men and women of God whose minds are set on moving forward in faith and commitment. The Lord wants us to think spiritually and not reactionary. Did you know that? God wants us to think spiritually, not reactionary. Dr. Tony Evans said, in order to transform what you do, you must first transform what you think. When you think on the Word of God, it'll transform what you do. Amen? The more you think on the Word of God, it'll transform what you do. You'll put on the armor of God as you think. You'll be a builder in the Lord. These things will happen in us. I'm going to close with this. I prepared two more bullet points, but I'm going to hold them off. And we're going to stop here today. Um, I just feel led that this is about where God wants me to stop. I, at least I knew, I knew I had one more section in Nehemiah 4. It turns out I have two more sections in Nehemiah 4. But I just feel like God definitely wants us to absorb these things and put them into practice in our life. Do you agree? I mean, God's not just wanting us to kind of know a bunch of stuff. He wants us to walk in it, to implement it. I'll just go ahead for one thing in verse 14. And we'll come back to this when we pick it up with our last two points, either next week or the week after. But. And he says in verse 14, I looked and I rose and said to the nobles and the leaders and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, and your wives and your houses. Now, I'm going to come back to that verse next week, but I want to close with this little quote from William Booth. You guys know who William Booth is? He founded the Salvation Army. Born in 1829, died in 1912. And at 83 years of age, last year of his life is when he made this quote. He, he gave a speech at 83 years of age. It, I can't remember how many times he preached. It was thousands of times. I want to say it's 60,000 or so, but don't quote me on that. But I, I believe it was that number. But what Nehemiah says here, he says, not only be afraid, but when you think about that we're going through adversity together, he says, notice, he says, fight for your brethren for your sons, for your daughters, and your wives. Now, I don't know why wives was later in the list. But anyway, your, your houses. So I don't think it was a priority list here. I think it was a collective list. So let's get that straight. You got that husband? Sorry. Anyway. Uh, and the men aren't even listed. You, well, you aren't supposed to fight for us at all, apparently. Um, it's implied. But anyway, it's a collective list. And... This adversity, we all go through it together. But what God, once we all hear from the voice of God, we have the heart of God, we care like God. And then when, when we have these things to respond to and real issues in life, we respond as God's heart 
And we really, really say, this life is not about me. It's about building the walls of other people. And the more you become others-minded, the more peace and joy you'll find in yourself. Nehemiah lived this way, but so did William Booth. He lived his whole life, and then today we have the Salvation Army because of God's call in his life. And he said this, 83 years of age, last year of his life, he said, while women weep, as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, where there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. And he did. That was the last year of his life, 83 years of age. God wants to put in us a spirit that fights for the Lord. Amen? That says, look, I know issues are real. I know the whitewater rafting is rough. I know the rocks are relentless. I know the storms come. But I'm going to fight for the Lord because he's fighting for me. Amen? Let's close in prayer and fight for others. Lord, we thank you this morning for your truth. Lord, we thank you that even though issues are real in our life, you've called us, Lord, to not only be those that hear your voice, but to respond with resolve and to rebuild. And Lord, we know that we don't bring anything, anything to the table to do a rebuilding job. We can't even rebuild ourselves. But we know you've given us the grace to simply follow your instructions and to trust you for the results. And Lord, in this room, I know that there's a lot of adversity, some of which I know, some of which only you know. And Lord, I pray that you would breathe afresh on these, your people. And Lord, we would not only care about the things of the Lord, but we care about one another. That the families would become more like a church and the church would become more like a family. And Lord, we would see you bring to nothing the lies of the enemy that come against each and every mind and heart that's in this room. And we thank you, Jesus, that just as you gave Nehemiah a clear and concise plan, you've given us the same through your word and your ministry and the work of the gospel. Before we close in prayer and in song, and again, this message has been, I would say, 90, maybe 99% to the church, and, and this was a body of believers, if you will, doing this work. But if there's anyone here who says, hey, I, I'm visiting today, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The only reason we're teaching Nehemiah is because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're not called to rebuild a literal city with walls and bricks. We're not told to grab real swords and all that kind of stuff, but we are told to deliver people from the bondage of sin and even an eternity in hell with the living gospel. And if there's anyone here say, hey, I'm here. I don't know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. You mentioned that we don't bring anything to the table. You mentioned that, uh, that we're full of a lot of flesh and weaknesses. Well, that's called sin. We're all born in sin. Even cute little two-year-olds are born in sin. I know they're cute. Those of you who babysit them, you know that they're not so cute at times, right? Because they have a sin nature, and so do we. But if you're here and say, I don't know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. If I were to die today, I don't have the sure hope of heaven. If that's you, I just want you to stand where you're at. I want to pray with you and God bring you to a place of salvation. This was not a salvation message. But I don't ever want to neglect that opportunity that maybe God's speaking to someone that you're visiting or has been working on you. Anyone at all. I did this a couple weeks ago. I'm going to ask all of you to stand again. So we talked about two things this morning. Real issues and a resolved response. You can close your eyes for one second as we pray. Just in, I just ask you this. Uh, if you've had 
your own voice and the enemy tell you five times, ten times, fifteen times, maybe a thousand times. You're not going to make it. This trial's too big. You're not going to survive. You're going down in flames. And it may feel that real to you. I, trust me, I've, I've been there too. <laughs> it, they, they can be real. But, they, but you, you also have God on the other side saying, here's your response. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the resolved response. But it's based on faith. It's not based on feeling. Say, Lord, your word is true. Nehemiah, he could say, all the evidence says we should stop. But I know God said he'd prosper this. And Jesus said, to us as believers, the gates of hell would not prevail against us. That's either true or not true. Amen? If it's true, and you say, I could really use God to breathe some new confidence into me, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you. My hand's up too. One thing God loves is honest weakness. Honest weakness. God says, look, you're, you still don't think you're weak? God doesn't have to convince me of this anymore, by the way, folks. I'm getting more and more comfortable with God. When Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, guess how much he meant? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Your resolve response is to say, Lord, help me. That's your resolve response. You say, well, that's too simple. Well, the gospel's simple. That's, that's the beauty of it. It's powerful, but simple. Let's pray. Father, we just, we raise our hands in recognition that many times our strength is failing. There's a lot of rubbish. We don't even know where to start. But Lord, you've given us the response of the redeemed to say, we remember our God. Lord, forgive us of trying to fix things ourselves. But forgive us, Lord, of not willing, being willing to put forth the obedience and the diligence when you've asked us to as well. Not to fix it, but just to say, yes, Lord, we'll do it. To put our hand to the plow, as you said, and not look back. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of our resistance and rebellion. But, oh Lord, I also pray that you'd breathe strength into people here who have weak knees at the moment, spiritually. That you would give a new level of comfort and confidence. And you'd breathe faith into faithless areas of our life, Lord, that we need to be re-strengthened. We ask that you would just give us the courage to move forward. And whatever you've called us to do, whether it's a marriage or parenting or a job situation or, Lord, just being a light and a witness in a dark world, Lord, I pray that you would bring healing to those in this room that need healing, that you'd strengthen the feeble knees and arms. We ask that you do this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you...